we start with yeah hold on all right, yeah start we start with, with, the, the, with the quotes <laughs> it's okay it's all, coming, it's all coming back to you now it's all coming back uh all right i'm anthony has anyone seen my watch i seem to have lost it again well you've probably put it in your cupboard don't you think in your hiding place what cupboard I don't know what you're talking about. I really don't know what you're talking about, Anne. What cupboard? Hmm? There's no cupboard. Couldn't you be more discreet? Have you looked in your cupboard? Yes, I've just come from there. It's not there. Must have lost it somewhere, or else it's been stolen. No, it hasn't. What do you mean, no, it hasn't? The watch must be somewhere. It can't have flown away. Do you want me to go have a look? Oh, very much so, because it is a bother. I am worried. It's very worrying. I'm losing all my things. Everyone's just helping themselves. If this goes on much longer, I'll be stark naked, and I won't be able to tell what time it is. Johnny, all right, we, we, we humbly, <laughs> yeah, we humbly apologize to all British people for our British accents there. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome to the Best Film Podcast with Chad and Travis, the podcast where we talk about what we think the best films are. And Chad, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about 2020's Florian Zeller film, The Father. Starring a Welshman, Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins, I should say. Sir, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Mm. And uh, Olivia Coleman. I'll say starring Olivia Coleman. Yeah, yeah. She's certainly second lead here, right? She's on the poster and everything. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And well-deserved that nom. Did she win it? A well-deserved nom. I was just wondering about the supporting. The word supporting there. Oh. Wouldn't she be a main character here? What, what more do you have to do to be a main character? Um, well, it's not called The Daughter. Uh, so, okay. I got you. That's a good I got point. you there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Me. That's gotcha. <laughs> Things have gone down since our last episode. Holy you have cow. been uh, like what in, in some sort of uh, like 1960s European <laughs> espionage film for the last yeah, yeah, few weeks. Yeah, I'm a caper. <laughs> Can you tell us about your caper? <laughs> sure. Well, as you know, Travis and uh, loyal listeners, uh, I moved to Ukraine several months back, and uh, Ukraine currently is in the news. I don't know when you're listening to this, but Ukraine is in the news because uh, there are troops amassing the border on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But about a week, oh, my my time's all gone. I'm not sure when this was, but about a week and a half ago, the embassy... No, it was about two weeks ago. The embassy uh, pulled all their personnel from the U.S. embassy, pulled their personnel from Ukraine because of the threat. Nobody seems to know what's going to happen with these uh, troops along the border. And Mm -hmm. Putin was, uh, not just Putin, but Russia was moving troops into Belarus, which is also bordered with Ukraine. So Russia's kind of got Ukraine a little surrounded and everybody's a bit nervous about what's going to happen. And uh, the embassy pulled their people out and they encouraged all U.S. citizens to leave as well. Uh, the the other organizations, the missions organizations that we've been talking with and a part of, they all were pulling their personnel out too. So we said, you know, maybe it's time to take a little vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, me and the family packed up a couple suitcases and we... Uh, fled in the night? Get, yeah, we fled. <laughs> well, <that> was, uh, <laughs> it was in the night, yes, but it was a commercial flight. So, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, there's still commercial flights even right now. Uh, we found a place that... Uh, in fact, it was harder than it might seem because of COVID. Mm-hmm. It depends, uh, like, can we go to Poland? Well, we could not go to Poland on train, but we could fly into Poland. It was just all these strange rules that, like, yeah. are different depending on where you go. But our regional 
we have some regional offices with the Nazarene Church in Switzerland. So we uh, took a trip to Switzerland, and now I'm currently sitting in uh, Busingen, which is technically, it's actually a really strange, it's hard to explain, but Busingen is on the border of Switzerland and Germany on the Rhine River. The town is called Busingen? (laughs) It is funny. Uh, That is what you're saying. I'm saying Busingen. It's like B, and then U with the little dots, the umlaut. Oh, the umlaut. Well, all I know is that our annual get-together of uh, friends that we call the Feast, I think uh, Boozingen is a place we should (laughs) feast at this coming year. Consider the name Boozingen. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's on the border of Switzerland and Germany. It's it's in Switzerland, but it's a German town. I don't quite understand it. Yeah. It's a little Uh, strange. I'm confused, but... but Sounds Nevertheless, like you are here we are. So we went from Eastern Europe now into kind of the European heartland where I'm currently sitting in a little guest house directly on the Rhine River. It's absolutely oh. gorgeous where we're at here. Wow. Uh, what's, what kind of views you got? What's it look like, the Rhine? It's kind, I mean, it's, can you describe it? Uh, <laughs> Travis, Mary Shelley let me style? Try to paint this, <laughs> let me try to paint this picture. It is comically. We open up the window in the morning, and there's like a light fog is wisps of fog are coming off the the burbling streams as they uh, the cool clear waters flowing from the alps run past our door and across the way we see just trees and cottages like quaint bavarian cottages and uh, smoke emanates from the the billows Jeez, from man. the chimneys it's I was kidding but I think Shelley would be proud <laughs> <laughs> It really is unbelievable. You you turn your head and look, and there's hills and mountains. You can see an alp in the distance. You're like, what, what is that? Oh, it's an alp. An alp. It's very strange from a, a Michigan boy where we have flat yeah. nothing. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> no there's no a, alps. There's no I, I say that, I mean, if you go to the lakes, you mm-hmm. go to the Upper Peninsula or something, it's it's very beautiful. And Michigan's a beautiful place, but. It is. It's it's comically beautiful here. It's a, it's a it's a joke. It's almost a joke. That's awesome. Well, do you have any idea how long you're going to be hanging out there? Gosh, gosh, we don't know. I mean, I think at this point nobody seems to know. I think as of yesterday, U.S. pulled. I think they pulled their uh, the embassy people out of Belarus, but mm-hmm. they just moved some more troops. They moved some troops into Poland. Man, it's getting it's looking really strange in eastern europe right now so people are picking sides and that's a it's just a strange time so i I hope soon uh i hope and pray soon and uh we're we're hoping and praying for peace Mm -hmm. and we left our stuff in ukraine we we packed suitcases and left so Personally, you got, got Moxie like right? back to my stuff. We do You're have separate from the yeah. dog. Again. Okay, thank God. <laughs> no, oh, no, it was close though because we can't. You know, everything like we everything here is in German or everything over there it's in yeah. Russian, and we're trying to learn it. But there's all these signs, and you kind of just hope. You're not violating any laws, <laughs> but we take Moxie to the airport and we think we've got all the paperwork, but no, lo and behold, we're missing some kind of paperwork <sighs> for her. So they're like, no, nope, she can't go. And we're like, are you serious? What? So we just kind of stubbornly stood there at customs yeah. and they kept, there's people keep trying to get us to leave, <laughs> like go, like speak, go, go. And we kept saying, no, 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 you were not leaving. We need to get on this plane. And our dog is very little and very pathetic looking. And we finally plop the dog up on the counter of the customs uh-huh. and they see the dog that they're talking and they're like, fine, just get out. Just go. <laughs> this is not a threat. <laughs> right. International travel traveler Moxie yeah. Mucho is a, not, a, a, fr- it's a not a threat. It's a Moxie Mucho. Yeah, Moxie Mucho Pucho, her full name we call it. 
uh, is shivering. She's a half chihuahua, so she's just shivering and shaking. She's got only three working legs. It's literally the most pathetic thing ever. So, uh, yeah, we, we got to bring her on the plane with us. So she's here with us. That's wonderful. In beautiful, literally, God, like God's creation <laughs> in boozing in Germany. Everyone says Switzerland here because it's, it's like a weird mix of Switzerland and Germany. Does everyone speak English? Uh, thankfully, lots of people speak, speak English, but it's uh, German. Okay. And that's the other thing. It's, again, it's, it's comical. Like you walk down the street and German like, gets a bad rap for being this harsh, like direct language. Yeah. But man, when we hear these Germans, maybe it's just Bavaria or Switzerland. When we hear them talk, they're like, they say, hallo. I walk down the street and everyone goes, hallo, hallo. All of us in the Balkan movement. And it's like, Musical. it's like sing song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. I just look around going, it's a very strange difference from not only from Michigan, but Eastern Ukraine where yeah. it's 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 much more harsh and uh, less welcoming. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm envious, man. It's a place I've always wanted to go. So uh, enjoy your time there, however long we are. it we're, might be. We're making the most of it. We're considering it like a vacation. Yeah. In fact, we're going to go visit the Alps Good. in a couple days. Good. Yeah. So yeah, should be fun. Yeah. Glad to have our dog with us here. Glad to be here. Travis, thanks for putting last week's show together, even in the midst of uh, big changes, I know, with your life. But I uh, really appreciated what you said about your dog, Rooney, and obviously we miss her. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, it's really hard to to lose someone that is your best friend and family member. And, you know, um, it was really, it was rough. Uh, but I appreciate it, man. I really do. Well... Uh, hey, want to talk about a fun movie? You know, <laughs> going through the saddest couple of weeks of my life, I thought to myself, what better way to uh, <laughs> to divert my attention by sitting down to Florian Zeller's comedic extravaganza, The Father. <laughs> the Father, one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, we did Pig. We did Soul. Yep. Now we're doing the Father. I'm glad that we're. Every, I'm glad that we're switching it up every once in a while with uh, some lighthearted fare because this is going to be the the depressing film podcast. Oh my god, Bummercast! <laughs> Bummercast. Tune in every week to Bummercast. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get host. lighthearted after this. We promise. We're going to have our possible wild card poll uh, for worst movie of 2020 at the end of this episode. So tune in for that at the end. And if we don't both choose the same movie for the worst movie of 2020, then we'll get into my pick for what will, what I consider the best comedy of 2020. So it'll be, thank you. It'll you know be what? something thank lighter. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. And sorry to do this to you. I had to pick the father though, because I saw the father. Uh, I guess I didn't see it in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got kind of limited release, at least for where I was trying to watch it. Yeah. And, in fact, I watched it on the plane. In fact, I watched it on the plane ride to Ukraine. Now that I'm thinking, oh really? It. Yeah, it's like you know the one of the worst ways to experience a movie. Absolutely, but, were you just <laughs> sobbing in the middle of the cabin? I was, I was like stuffed between two <laughs> people with headphones on. Yeah, strangers, and like <laughs> literally tears were streaming down my eyes. And, but by the time the movie was over, I was totally engrossed in the film. And even seeing it in that circumstance, yeah. I still called it, this is my this is my favorite. This is the best movie of 2020. <laughs> it's a powerful film. I, I, I had the exact opposite experience. This, this was 
one of uh, the only movies I saw in theaters uh, that year. I, I, I yeah. So I, I went back. We talked about how I went back to theaters with uh, Kong versus Godzilla, or is it Godzilla right. versus Kong? They are two different movies. I got to get it correct. But uh, <laughs> uh, so I came back to theaters for that, and then the next movie I saw after that, you know, which since COVID started, I think I've seen four, maybe five movies in theaters. But the second one was The Father. I went and, and caught a, a, a daytime viewing of that by myself. And it was me and uh, like two elderly couples elsewhere in the in the oh, place. Man. And we were all just getting emotional. <laughs> but, you know, I walked out <laughs> thinking, yeah, I, I, I get all the buzz. Because it, it was still, I saw it when it was in theaters, so it was still fairly early. But the buzz was uh, about his performance was strong from the get-go. So you saw it before the Oscars? Yeah. That's how I had heard about it with the Oscars. It was nominated for six Academy Awards. Yeah. And I always tried to catch those those movies, but I never got around to The Father, like I said, till afterwards. But I do remember being absolutely mortified mm. and like upset that at the end of the night, do you remember, did you watch the, do you watch the Oscars? So I, I watch them religiously. Um, they're a big part of oh. my life. In fact, it's how and why I found Rooney in the first place was that I took the night off work and uh, pulled into my driveway when I should have been at work to watch the Oscars. And there really? she was. Yeah, that's, that's how I found her. Um, no kidding. Yeah, I'm a, So I watch them religiously every year. I'll like, you know, I'll get sling or YouTube live the, the trial for one week and then turn it back off so I can watch one televised event a year. Cause that's the only one I care about all year. So yeah, I'm big on the Oscars and, I, and like you, I, I try and watch everything that's nominated and all that stuff in advance. And then, so I watched it the night of and got to be the most anticlimactic, right? Best actor. Pull, cause, and they saved it for the very end of the ceremony because they thought it was going to be, his wife was going to come up and accept the, the – everyone thought it was going to be this thing. And instead it was like Anthony Hopkins won. He wasn't even awake anymore. Like the show was over. Yeah. Every, <laughs> everybody knew. I don't know if everybody thought. Everybody knew that Chadwick Boseman was going to win. He did, but a much deserved. I have not I had not oh, seen The Father at that yeah. point. But I did see Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And it was great. What a great performance from a, an actor that we don't have anymore that did great work. Yeah. It was a great uh, – personality from what anybody could tell as far as i understand and it was just the perfect <laughs> night to honor chadwick boseman it, was, it wasn't like oh he gave a couple you know a cruddy performance at the end of his life uh, unfortunately no he had a perfect he had a great one you could have given him to and then all of a sudden yeah. you know it cuts you get to you give it to anthony hopkins anthony hopkins himself is startled he yeah he, <laughs> he wakes up from his chair mumbles a couple words he probably said a good speech but i think at that point i was like turn this off this is a joke i'm guessing that the old white man who had already won an oscar and had like a 40-year career <laughs> was justified in thinking that it was fine for him to go to bed right. he i mean like he he actually like made a video and, and released it the next day to be like thank you and much love to chadwick boseman and his family because even he clearly was like uh, I, this isn't what I counted on. <laughs> this is some kind of injustice. But it's really quite a performance, though. It, well, that's the thing. When I finally saw the father in a cramped airplane, uncomfortable, <laughs> flying yeah. over the Atlantic Ocean, I was like, oh, my word, this is the best performance I'm, I may have ever seen in my life. <laughs> this is so powerful. <laughs> so uh, I believe it's a deserved Oscar, best Oscar win for Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Well, if you get down to it and if you try and assess 
performances instead of careers, right? Like, that's the thing about Oscars is that sometimes right. you know they're giving an Oscar to someone really because it's, you know, it's a career Oscar. You know, right. when Denzel won, won for training day, a lot of people said that was because he, you know, he'd been nominated a few times before and he was due. I'm like, well, maybe it was just a really good performance. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was an amazing performance oh in training God, day, but yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was like, and so if you go on, on that idea that the best performance of the year not whoever we lost too soon or whoever we want to celebrate as a culture or whatever it's just the best performance i'm a huge chadwick boseman fan i really am and and i was impressed by his performance in ma rainey but it wasn't my favorite that he'd done if, if anything i think he should have right. been nominated for, for get on up i thought he was great in that but uh yeah so the father is I don't know that there's a better performance that Anthony Hopkins has done in his career, which says a ton. That statement, I agree with that statement, and you're right. That that says a ton when you consider his career. But I agree, that's the best of his career, which says a lot. Well, we'll get to that. The The other uh, award it won was Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. Florian Zeller won against Borat. It won because Borat's <laughs> subsequent movie film was based on... Borat. I don't know what it was based on. It was, I mean, it's a sequel, so it was based on Borat. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It wasn't at all improv. I never understood why that was. It doesn't make sense. Nominated <laughs> for that particular. I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. But anyway, the father won, and uh, first-time yeah. director Florian Zeller, who was raised by his grandmother, who later in life suffered dementia. Oh, so okay. this is a subject that is near and dear to his heart, and. But not just his. I think everyone on earth probably has an experience with dementia. Not themselves necessarily, but a relative. I think that's a really good point. I mean, if people don't have experiences with dementia, they at least have experiences with dealing with, not not dealing with, but with caring for the elderly Mm -hmm. in in their lives. And uh, on a personal note, I mean, Alzheimer's runs through my family like a wildfire. It's just a ticking time bomb for me, my father, my brother. Like we all just kind of talk rather frankly about, hey, hey, this is is what's coming down the pike for us. So hopefully they make some big changes in that department because it's it's taking quite a few people in my family. No kidding. Yeah. So Florian Zeller wrote, the director of this movie, wrote, is his first time directing a film he's a playwright he wrote a play in 2012 called the father in french Mm -hmm. which is la pere and they made a movie out of that and they made a movie out of that in 2015 yeah the movie in 2015 which i watched for this episode oh you did well i googled i said where can i watch it's called florida i said where can i watch florida and a site came up and said you should watch it right here so i don't know if it was right that i (laughs) It's called Florida? I thought it was called La Parade. La Parade was the play. Oh, and then the and movie then was called Florida? The movie was called the movie was called Florida. And it's if it's okay. an adaptation of the play, it's a loose kind of adaptation. It's about dementia. Was and it, good? it was it was good. It was where it was different. It was it's yeah. a comical it's a lighthearted oh. fair. Oh, that's surprising. It stars uh, Jean Rochefort. Yeah. Who I guess is do you know Jean Rochefort? I know the name and I feel like I know the face, but I don't know what he's done. I knew him. I, 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 halfway through the movie, I said, "Oh, I know this guy. It's the guy who was going to play Don Quixote in Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote movie." Oh, so from that documentary is what we're yeah. recognizing. I'm like, him. "Where have I seen uh, this guy?" Okay. So then, when I googled it and confirmed it, I found out, "Hey, this is like one of the most famous French actors." 
and right. was well below. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're real cinephiles here on this right. show, guys. <laughs> but he did like TV work, you know, for like French TV uh-huh. work and French miniseries and that's the kind of stuff. But gotcha. yeah, he's very well known, well loved. Uh, the play came over to America. Florian Zeller adapted it to America. It was very highly acclaimed. And Frank Langella played the key, the title role. And also Alfred Molina played the title role. Oh. Oh, he seems a bit young for that, but... Yeah, I thought that too, especially, you know, he's just in the Spider-Man movie and he seemed almost the same age as when he was originally in the Spider-Man movie. Which I guess is what they were going for. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. Are you ready for the sequel to The Father? <laughs> is this a joke or is... I'm not joking. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not ready for the sequel. <laughs> Who is? There is a sequel to The Father in the works. It's supposed to come out in the year 2022 this year. No kidding. Isn't that bizarre? Can you imagine? Is it The Father 2? <laughs> no. Nope. It's going to be The Son. So I, I don't think it's a direct sequel. It's, so it's okay. Florian Zeller has a, has two other plays that he's written, The Son and The Mother. And oh. I think they're I think they're completely different stories, different families. Okay. I don't think it's actually okay. like a true sequel, but it's got, it's coming out this year. It stars Hugh Jackman and uh, Anthony Hopkins is supposed to be in it. I don't know if he's playing a different character or what, but it's called The Son, and it's supposed to be out. I think around I want to say around Christmas. <laughs> the father's back. <laughs> <laughs> he's mad as hell. <laughs> he's gonna find his watch. <laughs> Yeah, Liam Neeson replaces Anthony Hopkins for The Father 2. Well, I want my watch. I, I want my watch. You'll find that watch. Uh, he's, got, he's got to drive in some sort of truck through ice to find a, uh, to find a watch. <laughs> Kill some folk. Oh, uh, yeah, that should be good, man. I'm really looking. No, I, I'm, I got to say I'm not looking forward to that. I mean, things- if... Yeah, well, if it's not a direct sequel, I think it'll be okay. That's true. Yeah, that's true. If it's not a Hollywood sequel, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. I I would like to see more of what Florian Zeller does, has done, and will do. So, it really helped that he clearly had a good cinematographer with him. But it looks outstanding. The movie does. Yeah, it's gorgeous, and like you say, he takes his time. He seems like a very confident director for it being his first. His first foray. Yeah. Well, same thing with Pig. We've we've got a couple amazing first time picks for best films here. First time directors as best films. Shout out to Ben Smithard or Smithard. Um, he is the cinematographer, also known for the Downton Abbey uh, film. So he's, okay. he's good at that kind of large British indoor shooting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guy you want That's the for guy. large British indoor shots. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like Anthony Hopkins' flat in this movie is the biggest flat in world history. I was thinking that, yeah. Well, so this Florida movie that he made, or it wasn't him that made it. It was uh, Philip Leguay, French director who made it. And he just adapted that play. And the tone is way different. It's more of a lighthearted fare that turns on you. It's still very powerful. It turns on you about halfway through when you realize just how serious the condition is. Mm-hmm. It, but they, they handle it totally differently, just kind of the same subject matter. Mm-hmm. So now Florian Zeller says that. Eh, I don't know what he says, but as he decides to make a movie in 2020, I'm going to make the movie of my play, call it The Father. And Clever. he said he's pictured in his mind Anthony Hopkins playing this, which seems obvious, I guess, just because Anthony, who else? 
Why wouldn't you picture Anthony Hopkins for any role? If you're, well, if you're writing what I wonder was the character named Anthony before Anthony Hopkins was assigned to play it, or did that come after? I'm guessing That's a before. Good question. Because if it was the play, right? Yeah, if his name is Anthony in the play, I thought that naming him Anthony Hopkins. Okay, so this movie is about dementia. If you right. haven't seen the movie, you don't know what it's about. <laughs> you're <laughs> going to be spoiled. <laughs> the whole thing is going to be spoiled for you. But Completely. I think even if you had it spoiled, you would still enjoy the film. It's a movie about dementia, Alzheimer's, age, you know, aging and mm-hmm. losing your bearings. And mm-hmm. the I think the unique thing about this movie is it we experience what it's like to lose our bearings as we're watching the movie. He kind of brings us into yeah. that experience. Yeah. And I thought maybe one of the ways that he's helping us lose our bearings is to name the character Anthony. <laughs> the character's name is Anthony and it's played by Anthony Hopkins. That could be totally wrong if the Maybe. character was named Anthony in the play. But then the other thing that threw me off was Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. who is the main actor. And then there's Olivia Williams, who's the other actor that kind of looks like Olivia Coleman. That's a coincidence, though, right? Is it a coincidence, though? Or are we, <laughs> is, it, is he trying to mess with us? Insert the Charlie Day <laughs> meme of you, like, connecting all the yeah, dots. Is it a coincidence? <laughs> there's two Olivias. Which Olivia is it? Do you know? <laughs> I do definitely think that, again, for a first-time director, that this is stuff that – the way that he weaves this together goes beyond the script. Uh, the, the, the choices that he's making, the, the, the flow of the film, it is so immersive in this surreal, completely ungrounded experience and plunging you into, as far as I can tell, the reality of living with dementia. It's kind of dementia as deja vu because there's a lot of things that kind of happen out of sequence and it's uh, right. and it's very confusing if you if you think about it really like laterally or literally I guess but in terms of a viewing experience that will put a viewer in that mindset I've never seen anything even close right that's one of the things that really made this movie stick out to me was that very thing and he does it in a unique way he. He messes with the set a little bit because the movie basically takes place in one area, this big, massive apartment. <laughs> yeah, but only it's really not massive, right? It's all his memories and misunderstandings and stuff. Right, right. Uh, but he also does it by swapping out different actors for the same mm-hmm. character, which is a very disorienting thing. Yeah, extremely, extremely. There's a, I try to think if there's any other movies that, that do that. Do you know of any other movies that where there's a different character? Not like Face Off. Or like, well, I I can think of. I mean, there's plenty of movies where you have different actors playing the same character, but it's at different stages of their life. Right, right. right? It's right, not. It's right. not something like this where it's deliberately. So I've never seen. Was it that? Is it? I'm not there. That Bob it's, Dylan not, movie. That's the one that came to my mind. Yeah, that's, I've Dylan never actually movie. seen it, but that's the only one I can think of uh, in terms of of that happening. But again, from what I understand, the approach is completely different, uh, and the, the, the motivation <laughs> right. is completely different. And that's why I think it's unique to this film. So I thought there's the one, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Did you watch oh, that that's a good call. Yeah. Because Heath Ledger died in the middle of it. Right. And so they just replaced it with Colin. I think they were forced to just. Yeah. Yeah. It was Johnny Depp. They, they did it with a couple actors. Johnny Depp and, uh, and Colin. Farrell. And it's dis, it yes. was disorienting. It wasn't a good movie, unfortunately, but <laughs> did you like it? <sighs> Luckily, it's such a bizarre movie that you could kind of play with it right. like that, but it's still like. Yeah, it, it it didn't help the the picture, that's for sure. And the other one that I thought, and this is the only ones I could think of, is the movie Lost Highway. 
But Lost Highway, I think, might be my own particular interpretation of what's going on. <laughs> what's, what's going on. We don't quite know. Is that the same character? But I think it's meant to be the same character. I don't know that Dave Lynch knows <laughs> what's going on in that movie. Maybe we'll call him up. Maybe we'll ask him if we get... I don't know. I'm not going to pick Lost Highway when we get to 96 or whatever that would Thank be. Thank God. <laughs> oh, I should ask you now we're talking about diff- disagreements in movies. I do like Lost Highway, but I don't love it. Yeah. Did you like The Father? Yes, very much so. Okay. Uh, we were still on track to not have to do a movie that I didn't particularly care for, so we're, we're doing good. Okay, we're doing good. Yeah, hopefully we can get through this entire podcast with both of us always liking each other's choices, or at the very least being uh, respectfully quiet or something. <laughs> respectfully quiet. <laughs> Just one guy talking for two hours. What did you think about that, Travis? <laughs> Silence. <sighs> it's better if I say nothing at all. <laughs> so we're going to experience the what it's like to feel disoriented, discombobulated. I listened to an interview with Florian Zeller. He said, to lose our bearings. Is that, that was the mm-hmm. whole goal of the thing. And we're also going to experience uh, kind of what you alluded to, these, uh, like the deja vu thing, where, that we're, yeah. we're going to loop and we're going to skip, and it's not going to make sense. One of the things that I love about this movie is that very idea that it puts us into this experience and that it is almost truly, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it is a, it's a horror movie, or at least it feels horrific yeah. to be in that position. It was easier for me to watch it the second time when I was more prepared. That first viewing was kind of horrific. It's still hard to watch, don't get me wrong, right. but it was a little, when I was a little more prepared to, for the experience, it wasn't quite as rough on me because, yeah, that first viewing, like you are, you're shaken by the experience. It's intense. Yeah. Don't know what's going on. Well, so let's, okay. let's jump into it, shall we? We shall. So the movie opens up, and the first scene opens us to almost all the themes in the film. We start outside of the apartment, which turns out to be very important, because most of the movie is going to take place. If it's not in the apartment, it's in an enclosed space where we watch oh, yeah. Anne, who I, I, I'm going to say she's not a supporting actress. She's the... <laughs> actress of this movie, Olivia Coleman, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but didn't win. And did you know Olivia Coleman before this? Yeah, she's already won. I oh, mean, yeah, that's uh, right. She won for The Favorite. Right. So she's uh, she's already a big deal. I don't watch The Queen, but, uh, you know, she's... I do watch, or I did watch um, Fleabag, and she was great on that, so I was aware of her. My wife, Crystal, watched The Crown. Was it The Crown or The Queen? What? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said The Queen. It's The Crown. <laughs> You're right. It's one of those. I think. I'll look up. Are there? Is there a show called The Queen? I don't I know. I don't watch is. any of that stuff. I will watch Spencer because it looks really good. But generally, I don't really get into that whole royal shit. I could just care less. I I could care less as well. But my wife watches it. I think she's seen it all, and can dis- uh. and di- can differentiate it all. It's almost unbelievable. <sighs> It's unbelievable. Oh, but she also watched her in... Sounds like a task. <laughs> it's a chore. She watched her in Broadchurch. You see Broadchurch? That was pretty good. No. No, I haven't seen that. Anyway, it was really good. But we watch Anne, who is played by Olivia Coleman, walk through the outside, and she's about to enter into the apartment where her father lives. This first scene now is setting up the metaphor of this inside and outside. Inside the apartment, we're going to enter into this kind of prison 
kind of maze, kind of labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place where Anthony Hopkins and Anthony, the character, is mm-hmm. trapped. This is where he's living. And it's a little bit of a metaphor of his mind. Yeah. So outside is kind of this freedom that he can't get to. Inside, uh, we're entering into this a maze, a labyrinth, some kind of mm-hmm. prison. And so as she comes into the apartment, we don't see the title until we get inside the apartment and we see that door and it says the father. So here's where the father is. But this is where he's living. And it's just the most intense, dramatic, diegetic music you can imagine it's like it's like the dude walking into the big lebowski's uh library it's it's intense but but this is what he does he 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 sits around and this is like his great joy right is listening to opera in his headphones on cd of course right that's one of his great joys he's he's uh a old man past his prime he's he's getting on in age and yeah yeah he does have the big lebowski (laughs) music what is a man he sits by the fireplace and contemplates. Right. What is a man? Like you do. Like as you do. We find out that the caretaker that was taking care of Anthony has left. Anthony has accused her of stealing his watch. Yeah. Again, the watch now is another, again, I say again, like I said before, the watch is a uh, a metaphor that we're going to see throughout. It's a theme. It's a motif of... Yeah. His losing time, he's lost, he, he, something is not quite right. He keeps misplacing his watch. And I think this is also a, just a way of, to say he's lost time. He's losing yeah. events. He's not yeah. sure where things are or when things are. I have mixed feelings kind of about this because on one hand, I feel like what an obvious choice to make, what an obvious metaphor. But on the other hand, it's perfect. It's handled really well. When he's missing his watch is when he's most agitated. When he has his watch is when he's, you know, kind of more together in himself. And it might be a little obvious, but it it does make perfect sense. Yeah. Throughout, we see like we're going to see his CD skipping mm-hmm. as he's listening to the aria or whatever. Right. <laughs> the CD skipping, I think, is another metaphor of kind of the same thing and the, the dripping faucet. Sure. Everything not quite working properly. Right, right. And a repetitive, yeah. this kind of repetitive motion. Yeah. But she says, well, uh, Anne has dealt with this before. Anthony has accused this woman. She may, she's trying to steal my watch. She said, well, did you look under the bath? where you hold all your secret stuff, all your private stuff. And Anthony is shocked by this. He says, what, how, do you, how do you know about where I hide my secret belongings? What do you, how do you know about this? And he feels, this is another big theme that we're going to see, he feels exposed. He doesn't yeah. like to feel exposed. He doesn't like to feel vulnerable. Mm. And how is it that somebody knows where my secret place is? And he reacts very guarded against this, as anybody, I think, would. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you you get the sense early on that he, in his prime, was a really responsible, on top of it, guarded, uh, and and together individual. And so these, these moments of vulnerability where his dementia is plainly obvious are, are really, really painful for him. Right. And we're going to see it get worse as it progresses, but... yeah. We start to get an f- idea about what this movie's about. Turns out the watch wasn't stolen. It was with his private belongings under the bath. He kind of plays it off, shrugs it off. Well, if I hadn't hit it, she would have stolen it anyway kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, which sets a tone. Uh, there's a lot of blaming and lack of accountability and, de- and defensiveness. 
Yes. Accusing others and, and projection, all of which is natural and understandable and just that much more sad. Right. Absolutely. I think that's what you just said is, again, one of, another one of the big themes, the lashing out, the kind yeah. of fighting against what's happening. And it's somebody's fault. I don't know whose fault it is, but it's got to be somebody's fault. Right. And we also hear about another daughter. He says, have you heard from Lucy in a while? And we don't really know that this, this Anne takes this statement very hard. We don't know why exactly. Yeah, you don't know what's going on, but you can see in Anne's face that there's something happening with Lucy, and it's more than Anthony seems to understand. Right. We're going to find out later how devastating that uh, statement was to her. Yeah. And then we hear that Anne is leaving. She's going to Paris. She's met somebody. And right away, in the very first scene, Anthony Hopkins says, what's going to become of me? And mm-hmm. he says it in such a, <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody living that could deliver just these very simple lines, which is just like tug. It tug, Right in that first scene, it pulled me right in and tugged at my heartstrings so <sighs> yeah. deeply. <laughs> yeah, again, because of his gravitas and, and everything, you, you get the sense of a really strong person. But when he has moments like that, he's he's infantilized. I mean, he's like a little baby, as we'll see again by the end of the film. Like he, He's like, what will become of me? Who will take care of me? He, as much as he kind of gets on Anne and doesn't seem to appreciate her, he, he does understand that his existence in that apartment is tenuous and it rests on her. Yeah. He, I need her. So these, so we have almost, I think, all the themes of the whole film set up in this first scene. We've got the lost time, then the watch and the missing, the discombobulation. We've mm-hmm. got the uh, the lashing out, the uncertainty. We've got being exposed, the feeling of being exposed, and we've got his uh, his. It's almost like a paranoia of yeah. what's what's going to happen to me. Yeah, and one and one thing um, when it comes to lashing out, it's more than just lashing out. I mean, this is something that is particularly rough for people who are around those that have dementia when they become violent and abusive towards others. We learn that he was verbally abusive to Angela, the the caretaker that he drove off and, and put his hands on her and roughed her up, which that's not good. You can't really go to an institution even hardly if you're like that. If you're, if you're a violent dementia patient, you're going to have a significantly harder time. Right. And as will those around you. Right. And Anne's going to deal with what everybody who has family members with this have to deal with mm-hmm. throughout the movie is, what am I going to do with my dad? What yeah. am I going to do with him? Am I going to put him in a... Like you said, there's only certain things you can do. Right. So here's here's our movie. Here's what we're going to be dealing with. We go to the next scene and we start to feel the discombobulation i need to think of a different word what's a different word besides discombobulation it's such a goofy disorientation word disorientation <laughs> discombobulation sounds like i'm a clown He's, <laughs> we, we start feeling this disorientation there's bags on his counter he doesn't know where these bags came oh, from but yeah. i guess i better start emptying the bags so that kind of gets at another running theme again like it's all being placed up early on which is as he fakes it He's constantly faking it through the movie yeah. that he knows what's going on, that everything's fine. He sees the groceries. I'll start putting the groceries away. He doesn't really know where they belong, and then he doesn't know what to do with the bag, and he just kind of randomly stuffs it into his pocket once it's empty. And that's that, That's going to be a running motif as well, is this 
I'm going to convince even myself that everything's fine. I'm right. just going to go along with the flow. Not to compare big things with small, but I do the same thing. I, I feel sure. like I'm, I'm kind of, when I'm disoriented, not sure what's going on. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm an idiot. I, oh, I must have missed something. Did somebody say something I wasn't really sure of? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to go along with this. Sure. <laughs> and in my head That's going, a good point. What in the world is going on? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> That's a good point, dude. I mean, like, on, I think anyone watching this can relate with Anthony on a human level. Like, you don't have to have had or been around people who have dementia to, to do that. Because everyone can get defensive and everyone can lose track of themselves or their thoughts or their plans or whatever in whatever moment we all have those kind of moments so it you can relate to the character uh even if you've never been an elderly dementia person absolutely and i think the whole point of this movie well not the whole point but one of the points of this movie is to help us empathize 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 with somebody going through that yeah uh, dementia. Uh, that was in the same um, uh, Memento. Remember that scene in Memento where was it Leonard Shelby? No, Lenny. Remember? He's either Lenny or Sammy, Sammy Jenkins. No, Jankus. it was <laughs> yeah, it was Sammy Jenkins where he had this moment of recognition, and Leonard Shelby thought, okay, that's he's faking it right. because I know he recognizes me right off the bat. But then he realized afterwards, no, that's something that you do even when you don't know what's going on to try to make everybody think you do know what's going on. Right. It's just a defense mechanism. Right, right, right. So he's dealing with this now. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony. Anthony Hopkins. Wait, real Ant- quick. Do the yeah. British say Anthony? Because it feels like, especially Olivia Williams yeah. keeps calling him Anthony. I'm like, have I been saying Anthony Hopkins' name wrong my whole life? It's <laughs> a great point. In fact, I wondered so much that I looked up the screenplay, and it's Anthony with an H. That's what Anthony. I thought. Anthony. But they say clearly, they're saying Anthony. Right, like like some people say Neanderthal, right? So I mean, that's like actually the yeah, you're right. the, the correct pronunciation. So maybe the correct pronunciation is Anthony, and we've just it's like a well, let's say I don't know. I, I should I'll say Anthony. I'm gonna I may call, not. I, I'm going to call him Jeff. I'm going to just completely switch it up. <laughs> Fuck it. Might as well. Maybe it's like the Stephen with the PH. You Stephen. say the Stephen Stefan. No, you say Stephen. It's always Stephen. Well, I know you say Stephen, but with Anthony with a T. I know people say Anthony Hopkins. There's no way everyone does, but everybody you know, well, until you moved, everybody you knew you know knew was American. So we all said Anthony. Yeah. Well. Yeah. If your adventures take you to 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 London Town, walk around and ask people to just show a picture of Hopkins and be like, "What's this guy's name?" and see what this. Who is this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So Anthony empties the bags. He doesn't know where the bags come from, but he empties the bags anyway. Stuffs in his pocket. He hears a door. The sound of a door, he doesn't know where that what's going on. He kind of peeks around, Anne, is it is that you? And then he sees uh some guy sitting in his living room. He has no idea who this guy is. And the guy feels comfortable there. <laughs> and we're we're starting to be disoriented here ourselves, going, What I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. We here. didn't see this guy come in or announce himself. There's all of a sudden there's this guy like he's been there the whole time. And this is where film is so perfect. I'm surprised that no movie has done this before with the swapping in and out of characters because film is such a perfect medium for this Hmm. where you can just put us in a scene and Mm -hmm. we don't we really don't know what's going on or we don't have to know if you if you're a good director we will know what's going on but we're going to experience these moments as scenes and we don't really know who these characters are or 
or even what set, where are we? <laughs> right. So this guy is Mark Gaddis, the actor Mark Gaddis. Yeah. Who I know from the Sherlock. Did you watch that Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch? No, I, I didn't watch it. I don't, I don't recognize him from anything. But I think he, he does really good at this and being just like a dead fish of a human being. <laughs> he plays Mike. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he plays Mycroft Holmes. Sherlock's brother in Sherlock. Oh, okay. It is really good. I th- and I think he helped create that show. Oh. Anyway, real talented guy. But in here, he's a, he's, he's a dead fish here. Yeah, he's creepy. <laughs> I'm. It's scary. I, I We're starting yeah. to feel scared. This is where I say it's kind of like a psychological horror. Mm. And what this guy says is, he's, oh, no, I'm married to your daughter. I've been married to your daughter for 10 years. Right. And we know that Anne was married before to someone named James, but this isn't James. This guy's named Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Confusing. So Anthony Hopkins, Anthony, <laughs> starts to go along with it. Oh, is that the case? Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Playing uh-huh. along, right? Well, um, aren't, isn't she going to Paris or something like that? And he has no idea. What are you talking about? Paris? France? No, I'm, she's not going to France. Mm-hmm. And Anthony, Anthony has this line that <laughs> I he- I fucked you up, didn't I? <laughs> he's going to reuse over and over again. <laughs> Paris? Uh, they don't even speak English there. They don't even speak English there, which I, I, I think it. It makes me laugh every time. Like it's just some unique observation he's the first to make. I think he thinks it's an obvious. He must have. What I think is, some kind of conversation happened with Anthony Hopkins. With Anthony, mm-hmm. he's had this conversation with his daughter or somebody, and it was disorienting to him at the time. And he he, he said this line. That he thought was a, a a very good reason why someone would not move to France, right? And his brain just kind of latched onto it, and now it's being replayed. Yeah, that makes sense. He's, that makes perfect he's sense. He's going over and over it. He probably doesn't even know he's doing it, right? And I think that's what happens with. I'm not an expert. Neither of us are experts in this, but <laughs> in my interactions with with Alzheimer's and dementia, is I'm I'm going to visit somebody. I've done it a hundred times. And it's the same. St- I hear the same story, right. and I and I know by the fifth time I'm going to visit this person, I know what this person said, or at least their recollections of what they said and what they right. said back. And I hear the same conversations, and it's typically it's just weird moments in people's lives that get replayed over and over again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're big momentous things, but typically they're just these observations that have happened sometime prior in their life. Yeah. And they have just stored in their brain is, oh, this is a good conversation. And now their yeah. brain is just throwing it out there. Well, and it makes me think, we're making a lot of references to other movies, but it makes me think of I Heart Huckabee's, the How Am I Not Myself, you know, the, the whole um, the, the Shania <laughs> Twain tuna, tuna salad story where, where he just tells the same story over and over again. And every time I watch that movie, I'm like, yeah, we, we all do that. We find like this groove to fall into when it comes to certain topics or subjects or like these like knee-jerk reactions to whatever – stimuli we're presented with and if you you know bring dementia into the equation you might end up with some pretty repetitive behavior in my experience that's what that's what it is it's like hey these these big moments and it's not it's like big moments in their own life that their brain decide to store somewhere but this guy paul played by mark gaddis the dead fish mm-hmm. he's not he's kind of he's not buying it he's not buying his charm he kind of sees through it yeah and it, it this throws Anthony Hopkins off a little bit more because typically Anthony is able to 
kind of go with the flow with what's happening, throw right. on the charm a little bit and kind of smooth things over, even though he's not quite sure. But this right. guy, Paul, is not is not buying any of that. And the other thing that Anthony does is gets angry when this happens, lashes out. Yeah. So he puts on the charm. If the charm doesn't work, he's like, I'm going to lash out. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get frustrated, which is what you do. Yeah, it's human. Which is absolutely human when you have no idea what's going yeah. on. It's frustrating to be on the other end of it, but uh, it's still understandable. Right. It's it's gut-wrenching. His daughter, Anne, comes in, but lo and behold, this is not the Anne that we just saw in the last scene. This is some other woman. Right. He calls her, uh, this man. He calls Anne, like, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll get Anne up here. And he's like, and, and Anthony's like, okay, good. We'll get Anne up here. And Anne is out picking up chickens. She's close. She's going to be here soon. And so he's like, all ready to see her. And we see Anthony seeing his daughter before we actually see that Olivia Williams is now playing her. So we're able to see, even before we don't recognize the actor, we see that he doesn't recognize his daughter either. Like his face like just falls and it's like, oh, and you know, before, before like even the first time I saw it, before I, before I even knew that was going to happen i'm like oh he doesn't recognize her at all yeah and we're we're thrown off yeah this is not olivia coleman this is olivia williams yeah who was that lady from rushmore that's, that's she was strong in that too. where's she been <laughs> she was so great she was in sixth sense she was in sixth sense yeah. too but those were both in the 90s yeah boom rushmore sixth sense and then she must have been in something since between then and now i'm sure she did plenty of things probably more british <laughs> fare that, that we didn't see maybe she was like on a, right, some so. sort of bbc show for a decade or something she's a strong actor i'm sure she was working. She's great great actor and uh, so we apologize olivia yeah sorry Liv. <laughs> another <laughs> brunette named olivia and they look similar they're they're very... I'm sorry uh, another what did i say brunette <laughs> another another who another what <laughs> Are you not supposed to say that anymore? Another dark hair, another very similar. You're saying looking. burnet. What did I say? What's a bur- What's a burnet? <laughs> Dude, <you're... laughs> I feel like I'm I really messing with you today. <laughs> dimension. <laughs> what's a burnet? What do you say? Brunette. Brunette. I say that's yeah, brunette. I say, yeah, you're right. I, I'm supposed to say brunette. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut all this out if you want. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Keep it. It's good. <laughs> She's a brunette. I'm just, no, I'm just, I can't. I'm just relentless. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> See, the thing is, I don't actually use that word because it's an objectifying word. I find so I stay away. Okay. From it. Yeah. It's more of a word you you've read than said. I only say it on podcasts that people listen to. <laughs> <laughs> only when I know strangers will be listening to me right, do I right, right. try to, this word out. I don't ordinarily use. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Continue. No, it's good. It's good. We as the viewers don't know what's going on. I think in hindsight, looking back, we can say pretty certainly that these are nurses in a care home. So Anthony is either replaying some kind of memory or he's mixing up his memories. Uh, Well, it's again, one of the horrors of the movie is we're not going to be able to really piece it together. You can't piece this movie together in a sequential way or... Okay, yeah. Let's let's stop there for a second and talk about that because that's something I wanted to get to too is that... That's well. You've just said it, really. But go, watching it the second time, I was fully prepared. To be like, okay, now I'm going to be able to decipher 
the parts that didn't make sense to me the first time, I'll be able to see because I knew that there was like the cyclical nature and that at some point she's going to buy the chicken. She's going to come up with the bag and, you know, there's all this stuff is going to happen. She's going to drop off the other blue bags because there's two different things. You know, I'm like, this is all going to make sense. And then you watch it and it doesn't. Right. There is no, like, you cannot suss out like what's actually happening with Paris. You can't really figure out what's happening with her husband or her ex-husband or what, or her, her singlehood. Like you just, there is no figuring it out. Right. I agree with that. I think you can, you can kind of because later on we're going to see Olivia mm-hmm. Coleman <laughs> buying the chicken and getting a phone call, and you can kind of piece little things like that together. And I think it's more reliable when Anthony is not in the scene. Yeah, I think anytime Anthony is in the scene, you're gonna you're gonna have to say, I mean, who knows yeah, what's going on? That's a good point. Maybe these are his kids. I we, I don't know. Right. But I think anytime he's not in the scene or you're on sure footing. When you're trying to piece it together. But I agree. I don't think you, in the end, are going to be able to completely suss it out, make heads or tails of it. Yeah. You, you know, it's not, again, to go back to Memento, there's no like re-edit of this that you could piece together and be like, oh, that's how it makes sense. Now it's really boring. Right, uh, right. Here it goes. Here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably why, I say probably why, like anybody else would know, this is why I picked this as my <laughs> best film. Because I enjoy, I enjoy deep, you know, I'm a melodramatic, I suppose. I enjoy melodrama. I'm not a melodramatic person, but I, I enjoy seeing it. I But I don't like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of it's boring. And I'll watch it, but I'll ha- I'll just kind of be bored through it. And I'll say, yeah, I guess I, I would agree <laughs> that that's a good movie, but I don't think yeah. I'll ever watch that again. But this movie is, it's got a great message. It's doing great things. It's helping us experience these things. It's, and it's also entertaining. Like a horror movie is entertaining. I'm, I'm not on the edge of my seat, but this is something interesting that's happened. I'm not being bored to tears by long soliloquies. In a way, it's almost like a, um, I mean, it's almost like a mystery. You keep talking about horror. Yes, and it is horrifying, but exactly. it's, it's, yeah. a, there's yeah. a lot of yeah. mystery to unravel here. You're trying to piece together what what's going on just as he is throughout the film. Right. And every time he changes rooms... We're not sure what's going on. Are we going to be in the yeah. past? Are we going to be in the future? Are we going to be? Are there going right. to be strangers here? <laughs> right. uh, Anthony is jostled by all this. He kind of plays nice, but then he retreats to his inner sanctum, his inner room, mm-hmm. where he's going to take solace in his. I guess it's his bedroom. It is his bedroom. And it's funny because his bedroom is like where he, you know, there's a lot of scenes of him like going into his chambers or whatever and like the door closes, closes behind him. And it's always the same room painted the same color until, the, you know, to jump ahead a little bit, until the yeah. end when he's in uh, he's in a, in a home and the room is different. It's a different room, but the color of the, uh, I think, is the same. So it's all just like everywhere is as good as anywhere else to him because he can't really tell the difference between anywhere. Right. We're going to find out in a little bit. We think this may not even be Anthony Hopkins. This may not even be Anthony's apartment. Right. And I notice as the movie goes, and I don't know exactly what this means. I might have to watch it a third time. Although this movie's too gut-wrenching really to... <laughs> I don't know when the next time I'll be able to watch it is. I love this movie, but it's, it's too gut-wrenching. Yeah. The set gets bluer as the film goes on. Did you notice this in this watch? Yeah, actually, you know what? I kind of didn't, but that's kind of what I was referring to with the color of his room. Because the movie yeah. starts off kind of more gold and amber, and right. it gets increasingly blue in hue until the end. And then the very end, of course, is very, very green. The very end, but right before the very end is very, very blue. 
Right. It's yeah. So I don't know. There's probably something going on there. Yeah. When I do watch it again someday, I'll pay attention more attention to that. Note that. Note that next time you watch it. Done and done. <laughs> uh, next scene ends introducing Anthony to a new caregiver. Something happened with the old. Apparently, this happens. This has happened several yeah. times, and he wants to introduce her him to Laura, played by. I'm, I might say this name totally wrong. Imogen Poots. That's perfect. That's exactly how you say it. Okay. And I just love Imogen Poots. I think that she is one of the best up-and-coming actors. I really do. I, mean, I loved her in Green Room. I loved her in uh, Vivarium. She was great on that show Roadies that Cameron Crowe had. I mean, I just uh, everything I've seen her in, I think she, I think she just does really like natural work. She was great in 28 Weeks Later, I think, is the one... Oh, is we, was she in that too? It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to boot, uh, maybe the funnest name ever. Is there a funner <laughs> name to say than Imogen Poots? If your last name is Poots and you don't change it when you become like a Hollywood actor, that says great things about you. Like clearly you have a sense of humor about yourself. Good on yeah. you, Imogen. Good on you. Imogen Poots. Yeah, she's, she's uh, great. So <laughs> Imogen Poots is Laura, the new caregiver. And Olivia's a little, she warns her, hey, just so you know, my dad can be unpredictable. Uh, we've gone through this a few other times. She's a very charming young lady. And Anthony surprised me by being uh, very charming himself. He's very convivial at first. That's true. Yeah. Right away, he starts talking about how uh, he comes in and says, hey, would you like a drink? I'm going to have a drink. And he's he's kind of prancing around, and he says he was a tap <laughs> dancer. Yeah, yeah, he's performing, and he starts going, what are you talking about? You were not yeah, a dancer, <laughs> you were an engineer. An engineer. What are you talking <laughs> about? He goes, sure, and he does a little dance, and he has a little flair. And right. Laura, played by Imogen Poots, starts laughing at this spectacle of this old man tap dancing. Which is what he's trying to get her to do. That's like what right. he's doing. He's in good spirits, he's laughing, but his emotions are not his own. Right, right. And it's and it's again this charm, I think, is a defense mechanism to yeah. try to you know And he doesn't totally understand that she's there as a character as a potential caretaker. He's kind of flirting with her a little bit and thinking, Oh, who's your true. new friend? That's true. Yeah. And he says, uh, this girl resembles Lucy, right. my other daughter, when she was that age, which is gonna be a big point coming up so as laura's laughing something switches in anthony's mind he doesn't like to be laughed at he doesn't realize i think i think in his mind you know when a a drunk person is trying to act sober yeah (laughs) and and it's very clear to everyone watching that this person is drunk but to the to the drunk person they're thinking yeah i remember drinking and thinking to myself trying to act sober thinking i'm acting so sober this is. Oh, I bet you it's. Un, I bet you people are talking about how sober I am right now. I bet you it's amazing, people. One of the first times I was ever drunk, I remember like walking through a party and like having to be like, like I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, it's, I'm good. Don't worry about me. I, I can take care of myself. Like I'm not that drunk. And I walk in the bathroom and realize that vomit was all over me. And my pants were around my ankles. <laughs> so um, that was one. Of the, that's not. That's not. That was one of the, <laughs> That was one of the earliest experiences I had drinking. I uh, I no longer first time it as a forty one year old man. Just for that's, the record, I was, right. <laughs> I was a teenager. That's good. That's good. But I I feel like it's the same thing where everybody knows what's going on. And now here, when Laura's laughing, something clicks in his mind where he realizes, yeah. oh, maybe she doesn't. I think he was trying to be serious in saying he was a tap dancer. Like I, 
But now so oh, he's being he's being seen through and he doesn't like it. I don't get this, the idea from him that he was a great father when he had it together, that he was yeah. a nice person to be around. I think he was always prickly and always, you know, very opinionated in particular and wanted things his way. And I think he was always probably kind of mean to both of his daughters. You you see him constantly compare Anne to Lucy and all this stuff. But I bet Lucy, when she was around, didn't necessarily feel all that love and like she was the favorite. Because to me in that moment, he seems genuinely irritated with their laughter and compares it to Lucy's laughter. And I think that Lucy bugged him sometimes too. Yeah, that's a great point. So he snaps at her. Yeah. He says, you remind me of Lucy. It's, it's, uh, inanely laughing. Inanely laugh, just like that or something yeah. like that. And it's like he slapped her. Yeah, literally. And he starts lashing out again. I use the word lashing out, but he, he attacks his other daughter uh, pretty harshly as well. Verbally. And we see yeah. this, this darker side. And we see how his words just destroy Anne. His, mm. his daughter as she sits yeah. there listening to what's happening. Yeah. And this, this I think, is what the movie... I was thinking about this as I was watching it. It's, this is what the movie is about. I mean, it's about dementia, but it's not called dementia. It's called The Father. And I think the movie is ultimately about the relationship of a father overall, but a father and daughter specifically in this movie, and how we navigate that relationship later in life because mm -hmm. i mean the father is supposed to be supposed to be the caregiver there loving supporting building up and we see and just throughout this whole movie getting mm -hmm. the opposite from him and we see it just it just like like you said earlier the people that are there to be on the other end of that lashing out yeah. i mean the lashing out is understandable to an extent but um it hurts it's devastating. It hurts the people around him, exactly. When my grandfather, um, when his Alzheimer advanced to the point that he was no longer himself, for the last few years of his life, no one would let any of us around him. We weren't mm. allowed to, to see him because that was his wish. And that was my father's wish. And that was my grandmother's wish because he just wasn't himself anymore. He went from being a, a preacher and a very like upright man to someone, oh, wow. from what I understand, you wouldn't recognize. And as a result, I don't know how much my father would want me getting into this necessarily, but I mean, my father watched this happen. And while part of the reason I moved back to Michigan was to be near him as he gets older, one of the main reasons, but like, and I want to take care of him, but he tells me over and over again, like, he's like, I got a whole plan in place. Like you can, you know, you can be around and help me for a couple of years, but once it starts mm. kind of settling in, uh, he's, his whole plan is to remove himself and go stay in a home that is like geared to deal with Alzheimer's patients. And that's, that's his whole plan. Wow. So okay. that I don't have to be around that. I'm like, I, I'd rather be around that. But then you watch the movie. And it's like, well, that's, it looks hard. I mean, I, I want to, you know, I want to, it's, it's a tough, it's, I, I, I hope it, does, it doesn't go the way that he thinks it will. I hope that uh, yeah, absolutely. there's enough advancements that it's not where he has to literally remove himself from his family because he's so concerned that he will treat them, treat us the way that Anthony treats Anne. Yeah. That's uh, well. I'm I am sorry for forcing you to watch this movie. <laughs> again. Yeah, as I said that, I'm like, wow, that's really fucking sad. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> uh, but but you know, it's it is it's a reality for him and for us and for a lot of people in the world. That's exactly right. This was exactly what I was going to say. This is absolutely reality. I mean, I don't know if you can find someone that hasn't that doesn't 
know someone, yeah. know a family member that has, oh, yeah, yeah. Because even if you ha- don't have Alzheimer's or dementia, the, just the fact that you're getting old, the synapses start not firing correctly and things, it, you could be the right. picture of health. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right. The, your brain hardens. Your, your, the way that you govern your memories and your emotion, that stuff just changes. Uh, and that's a, that's a reality. So this movie, I think, is about this father relationship where you see there's a a few shining moments where Anthony actually delivers a compliment, is nice. Mm -hmm. And the impact that it has on Anne is huge. You can see her face brightens. She smiles and she just uh, she you just crave it. And we're built to crave it, to hear it from our fathers. We soak it up like a sponge. We need it. But then to get the opposite from a father is equally as devastating on the other end of the spectrum. Why do you keep going on about Paris? What? I'm staying in London. We keep changing your mind. How do you expect people to keep up? Well, there's never been any question of me living in Paris. Yes, there was. You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne. You told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. You're starting to suffer from memory loss. I'd have a word with the doctor if I were you. In any event, I'm not going to Paris. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. And we're back. The smooth, dulcet tones. Travis, Brandon, Roy. Can Welcome I say that? Welcome back to the father. Yeah, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> One man is trying to figure out, is he crazy or is he just old? <laughs> Coming up on something. <laughs> Cutting that out. <laughs> The Father, <laughs> starring Paul Reiser as The Father. With Alan Alda as The Father. <laughs> Didn't he play an aging father really oh, well? In a good... I'm sure he has. Oh, Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. That was uh, Alan Arkin. <laughs> <laughs> Different Al. Dude. Uh, yeah. I Yeah. It's those AA. It's the, I, I got that. I got a little bit of that. I'm telling you, there's scenes in this movie, The Father, where I'm like, and, and I, I'm the same way. I'm, I feel like I it doesn't really run in my family, although it has. And uh, I do suspect that this is something I might be having to face in the future. As do I. So here we are both in our early 40s watching this movie and in all seriousness, feeling concerned because, I mean, I, I do the same thing. I bet I bet a lot of people watch this movie do that because I think that's one of – I mean, I've never had dementia, but my suspicion is that it's that normal just kind of decay of memory and disorder of things that, that is just how the brain works, just drastically amplified. Right, right. And the scary thing about it is that what, what are you going to do? I mean – Right. Like we've been talking about Anthony Hopkins lashing out at somebody. Somebody's stealing my watch. Something's happening to my watch. Right. And it is, something is happening to his watch. He's forgetting it. And But in his universe, it doesn't make sense. It's a scary, it's a scary thing. Right. Because his narrative memory does not include him removing the watch or, or anything. Yeah. So, and it's like, and just as you always would before, you operate the way you always would. And if suddenly there's big holes in your memory, you're, it's not like you're aware of the holes. Right. Your, your brain is still trying to make sense of what's going on. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, play this uh, play this uh, podcast. Put this in the vault. Play it back when in 40 years, or however long it'll take for us to start deteriorating. And I hope at least that long. 
The next scene, Anne, we're not sure exactly what's going on. It seems like Anne is dreaming or fantasizing or imagining smothering her father, ending it, and being out of this whole thing. Which strikes me as a really out of order scene for this movie. Um, you don't, I mean, almost this, almost this entire movie takes place from Anthony's perspective, and hardly any of it takes place from Anne's. And of the stuff that does take place from Anne's perspective, this is the only moment of fantasy that's in the film. But the scene that we see is in terms of what they're wearing, like how it was shot, the time of day, is identical to what we see later when she puts him to bed and, and does not go to suffocate him. And that actually does happen. But it, it, I think it's kind of important because caretaker fatigue is a very real and very crushing thing. And a part of caretaker fatigue is the guilt that comes with it because you're doing what you're doing out of deep love, concern, and care for the person that you're doing it for. But if you're completely overburdened in it and not appreciated it in any way and have no room for yourself whatsoever, then you cannot help but feel resentful towards this very person that you're loving and trying to care for. And then you you know, will have a moment like that. And then that just heaps on the guilt and makes everything exponentially worse. Right. I, I struggled with wondering, is this an Anthony Hopkins? Is this something that he's projecting? But it's very clearly shot as this is something that she's thinking about. Yeah. We also shouldn't think of all these people as saints. They're all just people. People, Yeah, these are just people dealing with right. this stuff. And what you said is exactly true. And it's exponentially worse when it's somebody you're related to. What else, What am I supposed to do? Right. We're going to see in this upcoming scene that taking care of her father is not just having a toll on her emotional and psychological well-being, but also her relational life, her, <sighs> yeah. her life around her. Yeah. So the next scene, Paul comes in again who we think maybe is Anne's new boyfriend, or we don't know. New There's husband. This guy named Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a different Paul. Now it's Rufus Sewell. It's not Mark Gaddis. Yeah. It's Rufus Sewell, who is, uh, I get uncomfortable when I see Rufus Sewell. I'm going to confess. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I think it's his eyes or something. He plays a great villain. I mean, there was only been a couple of movies I can think of where he played the hero, like Dark City. I'm like, you're Dark miscast. City. You're you're clearly you're clearly a. I mean, like he's probably the nicest guy in the world, you know. But I mean, he there is something about his demeanor, and particularly in this. I mean, I, I described Mark Gaddis as, as a dead fish type character, but Rufus Sewell here is almost like a snake. He is so the way that he watches Anthony is so disturbing. Yeah. He's observing him like this specimen and he's like disgusted and fascinated and interrupted and annoyed, but amused. It's all kinds of horrible. It really is. And it's tainted. This is the difficult thing with this movie. It's tainted by, we're seeing by Anthony's perspective mm. of this person. Yeah. It might not be nearly as bad as all that. But I imagine it's something like that Yeah, because this comes from something. You know what I yeah. mean? With, yeah. When in, in my experience, again, not an expert with dementia patients, mm -hmm. with Alzheimer's patients, you're if they recognize you, they'll recognize like an idea of who you are or like something about you. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're, you're, everything's kind of boiled down to this kind of experience. So even if Rufus Sewell, Paul, even if Paul didn't do something uh, outwardly mm -hmm. evil against this person, just the demeanor gets translated as 
This is my experience with this person. And now everything is going to be seen through that filter as I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. this person. And Anthony's a little bit scared of him, not sure what's going to happen with him. But Paul is tired of this. He sees what it's doing to Anne, whom he loves. Yeah. It's hard to kind of to, to jump into this a little bit early for Paul's character. And there, there's a lot that happens with Paul that you're not even sure if it actually happens, which we'll talk about, uh, which is right. indefensible. But I do feel bad for Paul. You fall in love with someone late in life and you you think you're starting this new journey together. And instead, you, you have been turned into the, the nurse for, you know, for this person as well. And you're and you're watching your new wife, the woman you love. It's supposed to be like the honeymoon period and you're supposed to be able to go on vacations and stuff. And you're watching them sacrifice everything to someone who is incapable, uh, sadly, of appreciating it. And that that would be really, really hard. Right. Absolutely. And the charm that Anthony has put on, even in the other Paul that we saw earlier, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't having it. And this right. Paul is not having it either. Paul can he's not <laughs> right. gonna be bought by this stuff. And you can tell it throws Anthony off. Next up we see a scene of Anne and her father going to the hospital to meet uh, a doctor. And it's mm-hmm. one of the few times we see Anthony outside of the apartment, but he's still inside a car. We <laughs> we never see him fully outside of anything. Or we see him in an elevator. In an elevator, right? And he's and he's and he's nice to Anne. He like compliments her hair, and he's in a good mood because he thinks he's going home. Oh yeah, you're right. Because he asked her where her keys are. Right. I didn't. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. And I just remember seeing again. That's why I mentioned earlier where he says, "Hey, you, you do something with your hair. You look really good." And right. I, you can see Anne just soak Light up, up that compliment. Yeah. This is exact. This is. This is what fathers are supposed to be <laughs> to their daughters. And she is, Olivia Coleman again, is just excellent in this. I mean, a well, again, a well-earned nom. I mean, like she does so much with uh, her expressions in this film. She, you're right. She's absolutely wonderful in this. And I can't imagine playing, a, I can't, can't imagine being an actor, but playing against Anthony Hopkins, especially <laughs> in this role. Like yeah. that's, those are some big shoes, but she, and, uh, Olivia Coleman does it wonderfully. Yeah. We sit there with the doctor and we hear that, uh, well, we realize his situation is needing some more serious help. Yeah. And so maybe, I, I guess in hindsight, this is probably when she, he's interviewing to go into this home that he's eventually going to find himself in. He's reached a point that like at-home care is no longer really an option. Right. It's not working out. We see later in the movie when Olivia is going to call this doctor. Mm-hmm. So again, the time the timeline's a little bit off, but right. yeah, this is things have deteriorated that much, and we see that again in the interview when he says, "Well, yeah, my daughter's going to Paris," and then his daughter Anne says, "Well, I don't even know what you're talking about." Paris? They don't even speak English there. Yeah. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, we get a little chuckle out of it, and we're not sure either. We, I guess it doesn't make sense. Does she go to Paris? She must. Paris must have happened somewhere. So at the end of the film, right, she goes to Paris. At the end, we find out she's been in Paris for months. One of the things I find most confusing about the movie is that the way it's played is that it's almost like he has his precognitive abilities at times, but he can't quite put it in the proper order. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. She ultimately does go to Paris, and he knows about it before her, except for probably... That's not the way it actually goes, you know. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's all just being presented in, to us in a way that it, we can relate to and make some sort of sense of. Right, right. Uh, these are just scenes in his mind that we're seeing that he's just playing through. But that, yeah, you can't really piece it out and put it together in a way that makes sense. 
I guess we just get the idea that finding out his daughter is going to Paris, at least how I take it, is some kind of core memory that he's lodged in that his brain Mm -hmm. has decided to latch onto that he keeps replaying over and over. It'd be important. It's a, yeah, it's a devastating thing. It's like, it's like you remember when, like if you've gotten in a car accident, your brain just takes a snapshot of this moment. Right. With the purpose being, okay, if I'm ever in this moment again, here's what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And unfortunately with dementia, it seems like these snapshots that have taken place in my life are going to get replayed over and over again, and we don't have the wherewithal to stop it. Something that just occurred to me, too, is that the way that he can know things before they actually end up happening, maybe we're actually seeing what we think of as happening in its quote-unquote in real time is a memory for him. It's all a memory for him, and that's why it's all even more confusing. Right, right. I think that's exactly right. Oh, it, we're just being discombobulated. We're just being disoriented. Dis- discombob- discombob-oriented. <laughs> we're just being discombob-oriented. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we see Anne making the chicken, preparing the chicken. We see her getting her father dressed. She's she's taken on the role. Again, there's this inversion of the typical father role. Now she's got to take care of him, which, I mean, we all know to be true, right? As people get older now, the mm-hmm. parents have to be taken care of. But this, again, is what I think the movie is ultimately trying to say or trying to speak to about something to Paul, again, is is fed up still with how much it's hurting Anne. We mm-hmm. see Laura again. She comes in, Imogen Poots, and Anthony Hopkins is wondering where the painting is gone. His daughter, Lucy, supposedly painted this painting, but mm-hmm. now it's not here anymore. Who took the painting? Hey, Anne, who's making the chicken in the other room, What what's up with this painting? In walks Laura. Anne's not here at all. Anne, mm-hmm. Anne left, don't you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. And now where am I? You're in your daughter's apartment. He's not even in his apartment anymore. And it's all very suspicious. We're thrown off as the audience. And Laura says, well, maybe it's time to take your pill. Look at the little, you like the little blue pills, right? Mm-hmm. And Anthony, Anthony, <laughs> lashes out at this again. Don't speak to me like a child. He doesn't want to be infantilized. I'm mm-hmm. very intelligent. He says, I'm very intelligent. And you need to keep that in mind. And it's totally understandable. I in these moments of lucidity or whatever, I don't want to be spoken to like a child. I don't want to be spoken to like an infant. He's talking to, he, you're right. Like Anne is supposedly in the room. He gets up and he's talking to Anne and she's like getting coffee ready. And she talks about it being Laura's first day. And then all of a sudden Laura comes in and, and tells him that Anne left for work hours ago. And he's like, Oh shit. Realizes he doesn't have his watch. And at some point in all that, the man comes back instead of Rufus Sewell, right? Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, at the at any rate, Anthony Hopkins says, I'm very intelligent and you need to know this. He's trying to keep his dignity, which is exactly mm-hmm. what I would do in these moments of lucidity. I don't want I don't want somebody talking to me like I'm a little child, even though you probably had to a couple minutes ago. But again, Anthony Hopkins does this so well where you can tell he was once this noble, upstanding man who had track of everything. He was an engineer, I, I think, based on, based on what <laughs> right. somebody said, but we could be wrong about that. But I want to keep my dignity. Right. And it's just hard to do that. It's impo- it might be impossible to do that. I mean, yeah, that, that's one of the, the things about aging that seems to be the hardest for anybody is that you have to, I don't know that you have to, but it seems like it's part and parcel with the process. Right. Well, he's deteri- as he's deteriorating more and more, he's getting younger 
it seems like he's getting younger and younger in his mm-hmm. bouts, uh, getting more and more exposed, getting more and more vulnerable, and he's fighting against it, but it's just... Yeah. You can fight against it, but it's going to happen. And here in this scene also we find out that his daughter probably died. This other daughter, Lucy. Yeah. Yeah, Laura brings up uh, that she's mm-hmm. sorry about what happened to Lucy, and he's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We're, we're going to find out he has a memory of something terrible happening to his daughter, but his brain must have blocked out whatever it was. Right. But before that happens, right, there is um, the the moment where the man comes back. The mystery man is back. The mystery man comes back, and, and once again, it was Rufus Sewell, but now this guy is once again accusing him of getting on everybody's tits. Which yeah, a phrase that happens a couple times. Yeah, I, I'm not crazy about it. <laughs> it's a very British saying, I think. <laughs> I, it, I mean, I've never heard it anywhere else. I mean, getting on everyone's nerves sounds fine. Everyone has nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's British. I think it's a oh, British thing. I guess. <laughs> but. Uh, where he says, um, Anthony says also, they don't even speak English there. Right. And now where he says, hey, you're getting on everyone's tits. Yeah. It's like, I think that phrase was probably said to him. And he's right. and he's locked it in. And maybe he said it here or, or it's at some point, I bet you this character, Paul, and maybe yeah. I'm trying to look into much where I, it's impossible to, but I bet this character, Paul, said that phrase to him, whether it be at this point or some other point. And I think that the character, Paul really did start slapping him um either the either either paul did or the nurse did but when the when we actually are introduced to mark gaddis as the nurse later he actually seems you know in the brief moments that we see him he seems fine um yeah. he might be kind of like you know business or whatever but he doesn't seem like he's beating up old people in the, in the place so i i get the feeling that that uh there's some elder abuse taking place between ann's husband and her father I think you might be right about that. I was, I was trying to figure out what you don't want it to be the case, but it, honestly, this stuff happens a lot, and it's yeah. sad. And these people aren't saints. And in the other scene, we did see Paul drinking a lot. He he drank several big glasses of wine, so it That's it might true. be the case. But it, oh, it's such a gut wrenching scene. I mean, he's he starts slap. He gets in his face. Why are you doing this? Why why are you doing this to Anne? Why are you doing this to your daughter? Which is something that Anthony is probably already dealing with. I mean, he knows the burden, whether he's not acknowledging it. He does know it. He does acknowledge it. He says, "Anne, thank you so much for everything you're doing right. for me." So it's probably this internalized thing. But then he just keeps getting in his face and then physically abusing him, slapping him in the face. Right. And Anthony may have been. Again, like you can't really tell the order of things that well, but Anthony was probably already agitated because at dinner, either at the beginning of dinner or at the end of it, he heard them talking about putting him in an institution and how that was coming. So he's he's got reason to be worked up. Right, right. And, you know, in these instances, it's the unfortunate case that Sometimes people feel like they can get away with this kind of stuff because who's going to say anything and who's going to know? And this guy's just going to forget five seconds anyway. No, exactly. These things get lodged in and he starts cry- He starts crying like a baby, like a little child. Yeah. And Anne has to come and comfort him. And as she does, she, she calls him little daddy, little daddy, which earlier in the film, he had talked about how Lucy called him that and how cute it was. But I suspect that Lucy didn't call him His that. other daughter, I think his, that the, was, the good yeah. daughter. I think you're right. I think 
I think it was Anne's nickname for him the whole time. I think this is, again, just the unfortunate case of the, uh, the situation. He's put all his good memories and good thoughts and good mm-hmm. feelings of his kids on Lucy, and he's put all the frustrations and anger and, and exactly. hatred on Anne. And Anne, God bless her, has to de- live with it and has just has to keep putting up with sacrificing her whole life, her whole self, to get just vitriol from her father in return. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's heartbreaking. And yeah, when you hear her call him little daddy, it's it's a strange phrase, but in the context of the movie, it's so good because it's that's who he's become. That's who he's becoming, this little... Right. He's our dad, but he's a little baby, a little boy that we have to now take <laughs> right. care of. Ugh. It's a yeah. that's that's a rough scene, man. Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced to uh, a dream sequence, which I guess is what's happening with this kind of memory slash dream sequence, right? That's what comes next. Yeah, it's yeah, it must be a dream sequence. Well, he hears his name being called Dad, and he wakes up mm-hmm. and he walks down the hall of his apartment and he opens up the apartment door, and he's not. It's not his apartment. It's this hospital. And it's actually a closet door that he opens up. He uh, right in his in the actual apartment, it's a closet. Yeah, but yeah. in this sequence, he opens it up and he's in this hospital, which again is this. It plays into this metaphor that the this apartment, this whole time, this apartment is like the rooms of this apartment are just memories in his mm-hmm. mind. What do you call that? A mind palace? You ever hear that phrase? Yeah, I have heard <laughs> of that. But man, I wish I'd seen this in uh, on the stage. I bet it would. Be, I bet what they did in ways of presenting this could. I mean, in one way, you could just do it with no background, like whatsoever. But I could imagine the opportunity for some really interesting stage design. Yeah, that's true. He goes down the hallway, opens this door. It's this hospital, and he looks in the room, and there on the hospital bed is. His daughter, his other daughter, Lucy, who's been in some terrible accident. We realize this is some kind of memory that his mind is replaying. And repressed. Like he, he under ordinary circumstances, he does not recall this memory. But, but Laura came and said something that day and kind of triggered something in him. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it. I wonder if that is based on the entrance of Laura into his life. It's waking up these memories. Maybe. That's a good point. Well, he does wake up and he, he opens up the, the door that he just walked through and it's you're right, it's a broom closet. And yeah. we realize kind of the horror of his situation is that in any door in my apartment that I could open, I might walk into some hell that I've been trying right. to repress, repress, which is, again, another horrific thought to think. Yeah, the more the more you talk, the more I'm convinced this is more of a horror movie than, <laughs> than anybody really considers it. Right. Uh, it's certainly... Uh, I mean, I mean, it's weird because it's not exactly a horror, but it is horrifying. Yeah, it's a psychological, and it's not thriller. I don't know what it is. No, it's it's, it's unique. It's unique. It we hear that Laura's coming, who we've already met, but she's coming anyway. This is the scene that I didn't like. I have nightmares about this kind of stuff all the time. He says, "Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I'm I'm in my pajamas. Let me get dressed." And she says, "No, no, no oh. come on, don't." Don't make it big. I don't know why you're making this difficult. He goes, no, what? Mm-hmm. I'm not presented. He tries to button up a thing here. What? Mm-hmm. Don't don't let her in. No, no, no. It's fine. Get, let this person into my house. Like that's, <laughs> I have a very real anxiety about that stuff. Like, no, this is my home. This is where I live. Right. I, don't, I, I, I don't mind people coming in, but I have to be warned about this. Don't just barge in on me. Right. You want to be presentable. Again, you're getting to his whole thing about dignity. Like let him meet a new person-ish. In his home, in a in a manner that is 
that where he feels like he's presentable. Right. He's losing all. Yeah. He's losing all sorts of. He's being exposed more and more as we go on. More and more exposed. Yeah. Exposed. And less and less autonomy. That's true. Yeah. Things are being done for him, which is what autonomy means. Which is why I didn't need to say. <laughs> <laughs> That phrase afterwards. <laughs> she opens the door and in comes Laura, but it's not Laura. It's this woman again. It's this woman that yeah. we thought maybe was Anne a couple scenes ago near the beginning of the movie. And So Olivia Williams, I think, plays three people in this movie, right? Yeah, she, right. She, tempt, she sometimes plays Anne. She sometimes plays Laura. And then she plays Catherine at the end. Right, right. And again, it's very discombobulating. Mm-hmm. We see that, in fact, we're not in... Anthony's apartment. We're not in even Anne's apartment, which is where he's apparently been living. We're in a home. We're we're already in a home. Yeah, yeah. He think this is another scene where you think he's retiring to his chamber again. He's like, I'm I'm upset. I'm going to my bedroom, and then he goes to his bedroom, the place that's supposed to be his his solace, but he is not there. He is now in a new place, and it's a home. Right. Income into his inner saying his solace. Income this mystery woman and. His daughter, Anne, and Anne sits him down and has to have a heartbreaking conversation that most people, I suppose, will eventually find themselves having with their parents if it comes to that. And she says, uh, I think it's time you need to stay in a home here. And it's very emotional. Olivia Coleman gives just an outstanding performance. It's not easy for her, and it's not, Anthony doesn't make it easy. He says, why are you doing this? Why? Why are you oh, abandoning God. me? And they both are in tears. And yeah. at the end of it, Anthony takes his daughter's cheek and wipes a tear from her eyes. And again, we accept, she accepts it gratefully. Like like I say, like that dried sponge now where she's getting mm-hmm. what a father, almost the quintessential act of what a father is supposed to do for their daughter. Wipe a tear from yeah. your eye. And that that is going to be the closure of this relationship here. Oof, and I cannot imagine a harder thing, um, something that would take more strength that, and, and at the same time would ruin, like, I mean, it would destroy her to do that. Like, on one, on one hand, it's what she needs to do, absolutely needs to do for herself, not just put him in a home, but get some some distance from him. Like, she needs to go have a life. And at the same time, to just surrender him to this place when he's so scared and so vulnerable uh, and uh, so confused. Right. And knowing that he's going to wake up every morning. and But, again, like, one place is as good as another. But by the time, like, he really – I mean – I mean, weeks go by before he even seems to notice what's what's happened to him, before he has a moment of clarity long enough that he can be like, what's happening? So it, it really is the right call for her to make. It is. But you know it's literally got to be the hardest thing that she pro- – the, probably the hardest choice she ever makes in her entire life. It is. It, it, you're absolutely right. I agree 100%. And it's good to see that he is able to be a father to her yeah, at least really that sweet. one last time. Throughout the movie, the roles have been kind of inverted where she's having to take over what we would mm-hmm. typically think of as some kind of parental role. She's now received that from him. And so we kind of close that loop. She's able to walk outside now. And again, the outside being that, okay, there's some kind of freedom there that she's being able to walk into. But it's not a joyous occasion. She's not like celebratory. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And she walks by this pretty compelling statue of a face. 
Mm-hmm. It looks like a head's supposed to be there, but it's just the face of the head. And I feel like I remember seeing that in the airplane and uh, going, yeah, that's the perfect sculpture for how that must feel. Just that emptiness of like, I'm going to put a face on because I have to as I enter the world, but I'm dead inside. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then it shows her in her car or like being being transported in a car anyways and falling apart. Yeah. Don't blame her. So and that's the last we're going to see of Anne. Anthony wakes up in the home again. We find out, like you said, he's been here for a couple weeks. We find out this mystery woman that's been haunting his his life is a nurse in this nursing home named Catherine. And the mystery man is that, again, has been haunting him in his wherever he's been, that he's been projecting onto other people in his past mm-hmm. is a guy, some guy named Bill. A couple of nurses. Just, just Bill. Just Bill. Oh, it's Bill. Just old, just old Bill. <laughs> And they seem like fine. Catherine especially seems like fine people. I mean, honestly, I hope that every dementia patient in every facility across the entire world is blessed with a caregiver with half the empathy, patience, and affection that Catherine has. It it almost bothered me to watch because I'm like, "Ah, this is a job. I I understand that that you have to have empathy to to do this job, but she really is going above and beyond here. But although I've never... I've never known what that job asks of people. I've never known what that kind of work is like. And uh, just watching that scene alone made me drastically, as if COVID and all that hasn't improved my uh, esteem for nurses and, and caretakers in general. But people that do that for a living are real special people that uh, I hope they have the happiest and best lives <laughs> that they could possibly have. Because really- my God, how hard would that be to that? This all right, well, I'm done with this guy. Now I got to go to the next room and do the same thing with this guy. You know Boy, what I mean? Like, I just can't imagine. You are absolutely right. And I'm really glad you said that. That's you're, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, these are these are living saints and saints. Uh, boy, thank <laughs> Thank you. If you are called to that line of service and do that, I mean, any kind of end of life care, it's, we need it. The rest of us out here need, need you to do that. And thank, yeah. give these people raises, yeah. give them all raises. <laughs> Absolutely. Hefty raises. It's just a travesty <laughs> that they're one of the lowest yeah. paid professions. Anyway, uh, uh, the movie is about to close and it closes with one of the, a most powerful deliveries. I, I'm going to say, and I, I don't think I've, I've thought this before. We, I even thought to bring this on the podcast. This may be the most powerful delivery of a soliloquy I've ever seen by any actor ever. It may be, it's at least in the top five, Anthony Hopkins wondering what's going on. I remember my mom and she had such big eyes and have you, do you know my mom? Oh no, of course she doesn't know his you know what I mean? Of course, no, of course she doesn't know your mom, Anthony, but he's right. he's regressing. And where is my mom? I thought she was going to come and see me. And I want my mommy. I want when my mommy's going to come get me out of here. It's so heartbreaking to watch him just, he's, he's kind of bringing his hands up just to protect himself. He doesn't have anything anymore. He's completely exposed. He says, I feel like the leaves, I feel like the leaves are gone. The leaves are all falling off my tree or whatever he says. And it's just mm-hmm. this feeling of being totally exposed and he breaks down and he he crumples on the bed and Catherine the nurse who doesn't really know him except as a nurse comforts him pats him on the back pats him rubs his back pats him on the head it's okay it's okay I was weeping (laughs) I mean I I don't often cry at movies I was weeping on a plane 
squished up next to people. <laughs> like the whole plane was blacked out, and I was just completely engrossed in this. Anthony, Hop- I, I mean, that's those are powerful lines and everything, but I've never seen anybody deliver something like that. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah when he starts asking for his mommy, oh. I think there's not a dry eye, in the, dry eye <laughs> in the house at that point, right? But honestly, what got me before that is like, because again, like he's he's trying to make sense of things, and he's trying to like present himself like as someone who's got together and he's being very reasonable so you are Catherine, okay and this is bill what's his name bill okay so like you know he's probably done this a bunch of times already yeah she said he's and then been he gets here for to weeks him, right and then he gets to himself like who who, who exactly am i uh. again like who who am i and that is that is what really gets me when he's like just trying to calmly ask who he is uh. Yeah, and then him talking about that he's losing all his leaves, the branches, the wind and the rain. Oh, man. So she sits him down, comforts him, and she says, we're going to get dressed. We're going to go out. It's a nice day. We want to go for a walk. And he's just crying. He's just crying. And he's just kind of blubbering. And she says, we we got to take a walk while it's sunny out. <laughs> well, he's got a moment of clarity, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. We got to take a walk while it's sunny out. And the sun's not going to last forever. She says, so we got to do it now, huh? And she says, you're going to feel all right. In a minute, I promise you're going to be all right. And that's uh, the movie ends with those lines. We see the the leaves of the trees rustling, and it is a nice day outside. And as I choked up there, but you know, we don't. Uh, this is tough, man. And uh, I walked with people through this stuff, and you have to take the good days, you know. You got to take the good days and just live in those and, and live in those moments and. Uh, yeah, it, it's sun's not always going to be out, but when it's out, we have to get dressed and go for a walk outside. So, yeah. What do you think is the intention behind this beautiful shot? That there's not a lot of special effects in this movie, other than like the way they set up the labyrinthian um, apartment. But the way that they go through the window to the trees outside and all that greenery and all the leaves what do you think what do you get from that what is the intention there the leaves anthony hopkins just said he just said right. about the leaves in the sense right. that i took it as i don't have my leaves anymore i'm just a naked i'm just exposed to the world yeah. so uh, i thought as i was watching i thought oh like an autumn like it's the autumn time of his life but it's not the autumn time of his life it's just they're perfectly it's the winter yeah it's the and the trees are green. You know what I mean? This is not right. a metaphor. Oh, right, right. The trees' leaves aren't falling, and uh, but they're they're rustling kind of beautifully in the wind. Yeah. Um, I took it as we're having a nice. It's there's still beauty, I guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I took it as those are our leaves as the viewer. Mm. We we still have all this greenery and all these leaves and we each one is precious and each one is green and and blowing in the breeze but each one is temporary and each one's going to fall off that tree when the time comes yeah that's what i got from it yeah i mean that's that's good it's a beautiful film absolutely truly beautiful gut-wrenching I yeah. probably will not watch this again for a while, even though it's Same. my best. Even though it's the best film, even for I wanted to rewatch this for the uh, podcast, and I was a little bit dreading it mm-hmm. because of the toll that it was going to take. <laughs> <laughs> Same. 
same. I mean, uh, you and I were talking uh, before we started recording how I'm probably never going to watch Pig or Soul again. Yeah, uh, The Father, another just uh, fun-filled romp in the best film podcast with Chad and Travis that I yes. will probably not be revisiting anytime soon. Thank you so soon. much for joining us on this journey, this journey that we're picking all the... Uh, yeah, tear you open, rip you open, and expose yourself. Next week is going to be totally different. Mm. And it might be very, very different. Yes. Because uh, we <laughs> have both written down our what we consider the worst film of the year 2020. And like yeah. we said before, neither of us know what this film is. But the rules are, the rules state very clearly. Neither one of us know what the other person That's said. true. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I've written what I consider the worst movie of 2020. You've written what you consider the worst movie of 2020. We're about to mm-hmm. hold up our our answer to one another. And the rules are very clear about this. If the movie that we've picked is the same movie, we have to do an episode on what both of us consider to be the worst movie. Yeah, which uh, I've got dread. I wrote down four different films here. I'll name the, I'll name my three runners up in the Hall of Shame for 2020. Okay. Uh, but I, once I wrote down the four and I looked at the four, I'm like, this. there's one clear winner to me is the most disappointing film of 2020 for me i'm very nervous that we're gonna match it's possible Uh, it was uh it was a film that i think people had expectations for the one that i chose oh yeah me too okay so do you want to give your runners Uh, up now before we reveal no not this let's i'll get the runners up after let's just go ahead and and on the count of three we'll hold up our pictures and uh viewers you can't see it but me and chad will we won't be able to see it either, but we can kind of prove to one another <laughs> that we chose in advance what the movie is going to be. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready? Let's do this. Three, two, one. I'm thinking of ending things. All right. I've, I picked Wonder Woman 84. Oh, that was 2020. Uh, okay. That's actually probably a worse movie. <laughs> mm. I may have made the wrong call here. No. <laughs> At least there's some artistry behind them thinking of ending things. <laughs> it's too late. We already picked. Okay. We're not going to do it. You're off the hook. I'm off the hook, and my nose is a little runny from tearing up over there, and I'm going to use this napkin that I wrote Wonder Woman on to blow my nose. That's <laughs> good. good call. What are these it's, runners it's up It's worthy of that. Uh, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I, I can't believe that Wonder Woman 84 didn't make it onto my list. I, I think I overlooked that. The other ones on the Hall of Shame, actually, there was a few. There was four on the Hall of Shame, which included Inheritance, terrible. Capone with Tom Hardy was really bad. Shirley, uh, about Shirley Jackson, was one of the most uncomfortable films I've ever watched. Huh. It's literally, the movie. The premise of the movie is, hey, wouldn't it be terrible to spend a weekend with people that sucked? And that's the movie. <laughs> and then The Lovebirds with Kamel Nanjiani was uh, really okay. just wretched. <laughs> Yeah, but honestly, shit. Yeah, WW84, that was a real scalding hot turd. I should have written that one down. I just confirmed it was 2020. Yeah, it came out on Christmas or the last day or something like that. I just remember gathering, the whole family gathered around to watch it. And after about 10 minutes in, we realized, I think we all kind of realized, we just started laughing. We're like, this is horror. This is so bad. It's Sometime comical. during that second prolonged introduction to the film uh my favorite part of wonder woman 1984 is when uh all of a sudden she just decides hey i can fly i'm gonna fly now (laughs) there's so many baffling moments to that movie okay well hey you know what we're off the hook we don't have to do the worst film so what so that that leaves it to you then travis what what's the movie that we're going to be looking at next 
We will instead be looking at what I have chosen as the best comedy of the year 2020. And what I've chosen is a film that never went through theaters. It was actually made for Hulu. And, you know, there's the original granddaddy of repeating day films is Groundhog Day. And I don't think that the premise really lives up that well when other people try it. But Palm Springs... Uh, I was I was really happy with. I really liked Palm Springs. It's got uh, a nice feel to it. It's a nice comedy. You've got uh, strong actors like J.K. Simmons in there and Andy Samberg, and it's just funny. So I'm I, we're we're gonna talk Palm Springs. Did you see it, Chad? Perfect. No, true to form. I have not seen your selection. <laughs> Another one you haven't seen. I know. So oh, I think I'm three for three. Am I four for four? I think I think that I've not picked a movie yet that you've. I'm yeah, three I've not for picked three. a movie yet that you've watched. But <laughs> we're still kind of in more recent stuff. As we get further and further back, the likelihood will increase that you will have caught it. So I appreciate Palm you throwing a bone. Palm Springs yeah. up next week for Travis's pick for the funniest movie of 2020, which is what we need. We need a break from these kind of somber, yeah. soberest. Yeah. Where the, these are the soberest movies we've ever seen, to quote Anthony. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get something a little more lighthearted with Palm Springs. So, But even so, it was a joy uh, reviewing The Father with you this uh, this week, Travis. Likewise, man. It was it was nice catching up with you. It was nice yeah. getting emotional about the inevitability of uh, old age and death. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful experience. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> well, we'll uh, join us... In the upcoming days, who knows where I'll be in the world? Keep see, see if you can find. <laughs> where can in guess the world where is Chad Gibbons <laughs> and Moxie Mucho? <laughs> you viewers following along, your listeners at home. But we appreciate you guys, and uh, we appreciate you listening to the Best Film Podcast with Chad and Travis. You can find yeah. us at the Best Film Pod with Chad and Travis podcast with Chad and Travis. Where can you find us, Travis? You can find us at all the regular social media sites, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Drop us a line, DM us, and please rank us. You know, give us a rating on Apple or Spotify. We're still a fledgling podcast. We need help getting off the ground. Maybe tell a friend or whatever. Be like, hey, do you like getting sad and talking about death like <laughs> Soul and The Father? These movies cheer you up. Hey. Uh, recommend us pig right? <laughs> just the nonstop fun, fun extravaganza that is the, the best film pod. Yeah, we've picked the title of the best film podcast with Jen Travis, which apparently it doesn't it doesn't show up often when you type the best film podcast. So do us a favor and give us a rating. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Um, you know, in Paris, they don't even speak English over there. <laughs> they don't speak English.